But what we are seeing is increasing numbers of people who class themselves as economically inactive. They are not working. Um, and that might be by choice, but I think it's by enforced choice for some where they cannot make their caring responsibilities balance it with work. That was Northeast Fife MP Wendy Chamberlain, and we'll hear more from her later in the show. Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the newly minted, award-winning Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'll be joined by Rachel Amory and Adele Merson to examine and explain the last week in Scottish politics. Before we get underway, I think a moment of reflection. Regular listeners will already have picked this up, of course, but The Stushy was named Podcast of the Year at the Scottish Press Awards on September the 21st. We were up against some great competition from titles including The Heralds with ex-BBC man Brian Taylor and The Scotsman. Also, our own pals from DC Thompson's Talking Football podcast were in the running. Needless to say, we crushed all our enemies. It was a fine night uh, all round for, for regional journalism, with the Press and Journal getting Newspaper of the Year and the Courier picking up Website of the Year as well. We'll have a chat around some of the best examples of big stories away from the Holyrood and Central Belt bubble a little later too. But first, we're taking a closer look at plans to improve the lives of unpaid carers. Northeast Fife MP Wendy Chamberlain is pushing a new carers' leave bill through Westminster, which aims to give unpaid carers the right to unpaid time away from their job. It's been hailed by Carers UK as a landmark piece of legislation which could help 2.3 million people in the UK. Reporter Rachel Amory met the Lib Dem MP and began by asking if these plans will genuinely make a difference to their work-life balance. I'm I'm hoping that it will have um, a huge impact, but I'm also realistic that this is very much the first stage in improving uh, rights for carers. So the bill, as it's currently set out, would offer five days leave per year. That would be unpaid, but it could be taken in half day chunks. So what we're trying to achieve here is at the moment, people who are in employment who don't have any provision uh, through their employer currently, um, if they had, for example, a regular hospital appointment that they took somebody they were caring for too, or that they needed time off for for visiting in hospital or for other other kinds of things that they could then uh, take that. Because at the moment, what we find is people who are unpaid carers and managing work as well, is what they do is they either um, take emergency leave, which isn't always ideal because their care responsibilities don't necessarily qualify as emergency or they're taking annual leave or as I found in many occasions where I've been speaking to constituents who might benefit from the bill they've actually given up work because they can't make it work. Well that's obviously not an ideal situation at all so in terms of your constituents and even wider than um, those in Fife are are people saying that this is something that's going to really benefit them are they really happy to think this might be something that's in the future? I think what they're very grateful for is the fact that carers are being recognised in their own right from an employment law perspective for the first time. I've certainly spoken to constituents who will benefit from it um, but there's clearly much more to do. And the reality is, there's a number of employers who are very supportive of my bill, and I've met with a number of them, but those businesses are actually already doing above and beyond what my bill would outline. So really, this is to get organisations thinking about how they better support their employees. Because 
one of the things the government is very keen to talk about, the UK government, is how low unemployment is. And we know the labour market is very tight. But what we are seeing is increasing numbers of people who class themselves as economically inactive. They are not working. Um, and that might be by choice. We've certainly seen that post-COVID. But I think it's by enforced choice for some where they cannot make their caring responsibilities balance it with work. That's one thing that's quite interesting because I'm wondering if there would be workplaces who are maybe a little bit more dubious because it means they're going to have employees taking time off, albeit unpaid. Is that something that you think might crop up in in bringing this forward? Well, I think I'd like to think that the majority of organisations who don't have provisions in place just simply haven't uh, spoken about it. But when I speak to those employers who are supportive, what they actually see is the business benefits of recognising employees' caring responsibilities are clear because what you see is is if you are giving that flexibility for your staff to manage their their responsibilities outside work, you actually get better productivity from them when they are at work and you're more likely to retain them for the longer term as well. So for those organisations that have embraced supporting carers, they think the business benefits are absolutely clear. Now, um, I know that previously the Conservatives had included unpaid carers leave in their manifesto and then it wasn't ever mentioned in the Queen's speech or anything like that in Parliament. Do you think you're going to get lots of support from the um, from this bill, whether it's cross-party or from the government? What, what's your thoughts there? Well, that's been one of the things that I've been really focused on, as well as speaking to constituents and organisations that will benefit it from the bill, is about trying to ensure that cross-party support. Because private members' bills are exactly that. They're individual MPs. They are not you know, party political in uh, many senses. Yes, the fact that the government did propose it in their own manifesto in 2019 and did consult on what a carer's leave provision might look like means that I am um, hopeful and have had constructive discussions with the government about whether they would support the bill or, or not. I've also managed to identify champions from all the parties in Parliament who say that they support the provisions of the bill. And indeed, the second reading of the bill, which is the sort of main first step uh, getting the bill heard, was due to take place on the 9th 9th of September. That was obviously dropped when uh, following the the Queen's death. But we're very hopeful that the day is going to be rescheduled uh, later on this month. And uh, I had a number of MPs from different parties lined up to speak in support of it. So um, I'm hoping that they'll be able to look at their calendars again and be there at this time as well, because it's really important. You may have heard things about private members' bills before that don't progress. There's well known the upskirting bill a few years ago that was stopped by Christopher Chope MP, supposedly because he felt that the bill hadn't had sufficient scrutiny to pass. So it's actually really important that although these are private members' bills for individuals, that people work across party to ensure that the bill has been properly scrutinised and so it can progress with confidence so that we know that what we put forward is the best that we can do within the provisions that, that that we want. Because, you know, my own party's policy, Liberal Democrats, is for paid carers leave. Um, and, you know, I very much see this as the first step to ensuring that because we know um, how many people can potentially benefit from this bill, but also how much we as a society benefit from people who are, uh, you know, are unpaid carers for loved ones. And they're not doing it for money or for recognition. They're doing it because they care. And we should be recognising the benefit that they provide to society as a result of that. If this bill goes ahead and um, it, all, it all does come into legislation, how, how successful could this be? Are we going to see more people staying in work, perhaps? Are we going to see people with sort of lower 
stress levels, maybe their mental health improves. Do you think that's come out some of the things that might come out of it? Yeah, that's very much what I would hope to see. I would hope to see better productivity. I would hope to see, so for example, I've had good engagement from St Andrews University, whose current provision for carers goes above and beyond um, what is outlined in my, my bill. But what it has done, they're also a carer positive organisation, I should say, which is an accreditation via the Scottish Government, um, which is all really good. But actually having discussions with them about my bill has made them look at what they currently have in place and said, actually, we could potentially be more streamlined about the different support, the different leave provisions that we have, and also make sure that people know about it. Because what we often find uh, for people that have caring responsibilities, they get to a crisis point, and that's the point when they ask for help. If they are better aware of what supports are available to them sooner, potentially they access them sooner, and as a result, they stay in work longer. Is there any particular constituents of yours or those that you've been talking to that have a particular I particularly told you their story about what um, it's like at the moment being an unpaid carer without being able to get that flexibility at work. Yeah, I've spoken to a couple and, and actually, as I say, there's been a number that I've spoken to who have caring responsibilities who haven't actually been able to make it work and have had to give up work. But if I think of two in particular, I've got one younger constituent who actually, uh, one of the challenges for her is the fact that um, uh, if she works too many hours, she uses, loses her carer's allowance. So actually, there are different things that the government could and should be doing to support uh, carers. And yes, she would make um, use of my uh, pr- uh, my bill's provisions if it came through. But that is actually the thing that would help her more than anything, because she's in a horrible position where if she works more hours, she loses her carer's allowance. And so she ends up actually in a worse off position. And then I've got another constituent who is a carer for her elderly parents. Um, she lives um, in Ladybank. Her parents are in St Andrews. Her work is down in the Leavenmouth area. So it's not just the caring, it's the administration around the caring, it's the travel. And, and I uh, also uh, visited Fife Carers. They have uh, um, a get-together in St Andrews on a weekly basis at the Botanics. Uh, the group is called the Crap Carers, which means that they're compassionate, resourceful and patient, uh, which made me laugh. But, you know, I was hearing about all the different circumstances that they have and the challenges that they have. And, you know, for many of them, they feel that they don't actually get time to care. It's about the administration of caring. It's about organising potentially carers coming into the house. It's about organising hospital appointments. It's about making those bits work as opposed to what they actually do want to focus on, which is providing that particular care to their loved ones. Do you think that people who take this leave do you think they're going to spend the time, um, like you said, going to hospital appointments or trying to coordinate things for the, the person they care for? Or do you think it could be more um, sort of taking personal days for themselves and their own um, well-being? Well, what I would very much hope that this would do is that having this leave provision for carers leave means that they could actually use their annual leave for what you say in terms of that personal time. And um, the reality is for carers, they're already going above and beyond and uh, they won't be taking that time for themselves. They'll be taking it for their loved ones. But hopefully it would potentially give them more opportunities for respite using other leave. That was Wendy Chamberlain there speaking with Rachel Amory. The next date in the diary for that one is October the 21st, I think, when the proposals should be aired at Westminster. Rachel, you're here with us right now. What, what are carers saying about these proposals? Yeah, like you said, it's still very early days. So even if this was to get introduced, it's still a long way off. But they are pleased. I mean, Carers UK, for example, they've said that the the pandemic and the cost of living crisis, I mean, we're all feeling that at the moment. But Mm. 
they say that unpaid carers are, are really feeling the sort of the, the sharp end of that. So something like this is just going to be beneficial in the long run. Um, and, and Wendy was saying there as well, I mean, it could boost productivity because mental well-being is a bit better. Businesses might see staff retention getting better as well. So benefits on both sides, it seems like. Wendy did mention there as well that she'd like to see it be a bit further, like it to be paid leave instead. But obviously that's a lot more financial dimensions to that to think about so that's not be included in this bill even though it's something that she and others would probably want to see happen but that's sort of the stage we're at at the moment um yeah. still a long way off but it does sound like it would be good for carers and businesses alike so yeah well, thanks but well, there's there's never been a quiet week in politics and just as we begin the recording the chancellor's been unpicking his own government's legacy policy by policy some eye catchers among the tax changes being unveiled in the the so-called fiscal event or whatever it's being badged as these days. Corporation tax rise has been cancelled. The Treasury says the Scottish Government will receive more than £600 million as a result of tax cuts elsewhere in the UK. Uh, Three million Scottish workers standing to get a national insurance cut worth £285. And it's likely a big gulf will emerge north and south of the border um, in taxes. So the ball is now in the Scottish Government's court. It'll be very interesting to see what changes can happen or will happen um, when the Scottish government come to refresh their finances. But really, before we get into any details of, of the budget as, it's, as it sort of shakes out, this has been the culmination of a big first week for, for Prime Minister Liz Truss. Obviously, as we discussed last week, knocked off course entirely by the government shutdown and parliamentary kind of going, going dark, really, for the, the state mourning period. Adele, you've been sort of following this trust a little bit in the first week. How was that for a curtain raiser for this new administration? Yeah, it seems like a lot has happened. And well, there was obviously the morning period, and then and after that, there's been a lot has happened in a short period of of time. The prime minister went to New York, and she met with Joe Biden and others over there. And there was a lot said about the fact her kind of support for tax cuts and this idea of trickle-down economics, which is basically the idea that cutting taxes for better-off people will eventually trickle down and benefit everyone, which lots of people disagree with. Um, and Biden happened to tweet uh, around, I can't remember exactly when it was, it was around about the same time that Miss Truss was out there saying that in his view, trickle-down economics had never worked. Now, people think this was just a bit of a coincidence. It was probably more of a domestic statement he was making, but it it makes very clear that he he doesn't agree with mistrust at the time when she was visiting the yeah. US, which is quite interesting. And nearer to, to home, I guess, she came in for a lot of criticism at Holyrood this week for some of her proposals around tackling the energy crisis. Yeah, so Miss Truss was accused of trying to drill her way out of the energy crisis and of climate denial for some of her proposals. She in particular has said in the Commons that she expects to issue more than 100 new oil and gas licences in the North Sea. Another proposal she's come under fire for has been, um, I believe just in the budget there, that green levies are axed and, and they fund schemes like insulation and renewable energy. So the Greens in Parliament were saying she's taken a wrecking ball already to climate commitments and uh, the the Scottish government kind of got a dig in as well. Uh, Michael Matheson, he said that, yeah, Energy Secretary Michael Matheson said that it's seriously wrong to give this impression that simply by extracting more oil and gas in the North Sea, that's going to have, uh, you know, be the way that we beat this energy crisis because 
as most people know, starting a new oil field, it takes a long time to actually get everything. So you're talking years and years before it's even up and running. So they're kind of making the point that much more, there needs to be much more targeted support. And also you really need to focus on yeah. things like renewables if you're going to have any chance of, I guess, changing the energy system properly. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned some of the, the changes in the budget as well and, and cancelled uh, commitments on green levy and things like that. But it was noted that um, a lot of what the Chancellor was saying just before we started this recording today, um, it, it was cancelling things that Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak, his predecessor, had, had, had put in place. Rachel, I mean, they've kind of set themselves up, set themselves up as a, as a new government. But really, it's not as simple as that. I mean, Liz Truss, remind us how, how many, what proportion of the UK actually put Liz Truss into this new position? It's very curious. Yeah, I can't remember the exact number, but it is less than 1%. Um, it's I a very an exact number, Rachel. Oh, apologies. It's <laughs> less than 1%, but uh, yeah, not many people have voted her in at all. I mean, there are some people saying that maybe she should be calling a general election so that she's got that mandate from the general public. Um, one of our columnists, actually, Kevin Pringle, he's been talking about that this week in The Courier. Um, but that might also go her way. Remember, Theresa May in 2017, that didn't exactly work out for herself. So, it, yeah, it's an interesting one to think about. But it does seem like she's wanting to put a fresh start on things and move away from what Boris Johnson was doing, even though she was part of Boris Johnson's government as foreign secretary. She does seem to want to distance herself a bit there and start all over again from square one, even though we are in the middle of a uh, in the middle of the Conservative government's term in office. I suppose that's it, yeah, it's starting all over again, isn't it? But it, how successful will she be with the amount of time she's got left is uh, an interesting one to think about. Okay, well, while we've gone around the houses there on on some of the the big updates for the for the week in politics, we also like to take a a bit of a closer look at some of the stories that have been catching our eye, where um, we can really focus beyond the political bubble, Holyrood, Glasgow and Edinburgh. Um, so we're just going to have a little tour around the, the, the Courier and P&J patches and see what we've been doing this week. Let's start in Aberdeen. It seems like a regional issue, but this is one that gets the heart of um, Scotland-wide infrastructure, connectivity, and all those other words that the government frequently use, but seem under more and more pressure to do something about. Uh, tell us the A9 and the A96. They're, they're more than just numbers and letters when it comes to connecting up the biggest cities in the whole of the region. So what, what's going on there? The latest kind of push has, has come about because sadly, two more people have lost their lives on, in particular on this occasion, on the A9 in two separate incidents on the same day last week and I think that has again focused minds as it should on what's the future for these roads and, and what kind of timescales are we looking at for dueling both of them. They're at different stages the A9 constructions actually began. Um, there's a target of 2025 for that but when I say it's it's started there's only I think two out of 11 sections have been completed so you're still talking the majority of the road still has to be built. And in the case of the A96, it's a little bit different. Um, the Greens entered government and when that happened, there was an agreement that there would now be a review into whether the road becomes fully jewelled or whether there's kind of looking at the climate implications of doing that. 
And as a result, we won't hear back on that until the end of the year. And that's meant to be, the road is meant to be completed in 2030. So basically the point that these MSPs are making is, let's be honest here, there's absolutely no chance that these roads can be completed in that timescale. And it's it seems quite silly that we're still, these are still the penciled in dates that we have. Yeah. Whenever the government gets asked about it, it's quite kind of technical answers are given back about sort of procurement processes and things like that. But Fergus Yoon was making the point that Surely, when these initial dates were given, there were all these, you know, there's all these procurement processes and things to go through. So, where you need to come up with some kind of estimate of of how delayed yeah. we're talking. So, it's um, yeah. yeah. He actually appeared. I, I thought personally, he appeared quite emotional. Um, I guess he's speaking on behalf of his constituents, and with the sad events that have happened, it, it does mean a lot to many people. Um, I think certainly, people MSPs are going to keep pushing the government to finally come out with what the actual revised timetable is looking like. Rachel, what has been catching your eye around the patches today? Well, I've actually, in Parliament yesterday, I was speaking to our brand new MSP, Ros McCall. Um, she's now become an MSP for Mid-Scotland and Fife um, because Dean Lockhart resigned a couple of weeks ago. Um, now you might not have noticed this, there's been a lot of new appointments in politics in the past few weeks. But um, I myself live in Mid-Scotland and Fife and I thought, wait a minute here, we've not had a by-election. How have we got a new MSP here? Um, and that's because she is a regional MSP, not a constituency MSP. So if you think back to the Scottish Parliament election in May 2021, um, you were given two papers. The first one was your constituency MSP, and that was nice and simple, across the box, whoever gets the most votes wins. But when you think about the regional one, if you remember, you were actually voting for a party rather than an individual person. And in Mid-Scotland and Fife, the Conservatives won four seats there. Um, so that's why it's that's how it's all worked out. You weren't voting for an individual, you were voting for a party. So when Dean Lockhart stood down, he could just be replaced by another Conservative because that, that's what you voted for. There's still four Conservative MSPs in that region. It's just a different name on the ballot paper now. Um, but yeah, it was good to meet up with her. She she used to be a councillor, actually, for Perth and Kinross Council. So mm -hmm. some of the people maybe living in Perthshire might have heard of her before. She she lives in Ochtarder. She's got two daughters um, with her, and lives with her husband. My feeling was that she seemed very down to earth. She loves her family life, but also very keen to be an MSP. Um, she's keen to start, start working and get to know her region and get to know the people and what they would like to see from her. So... You can you can read the full thing, of course, on online um, any time uh, after after listening to this. There's another story that caught my eye as well. Of course, it wasn't actually um, a particularly uh, local one, but along with uh, many others, we picked up on the Times story about Douglas Ross and the aide that never quite got hired. It was a bizarre detail um, about a new appointee accused of embellishing his CV a wee bit to promote experience with Jim Murphy. The, none other than the former Scottish Labour leader. And much of the focus was on the appointee himself, but but frankly, we were more interested in what was said about the Tory due diligence, I thought. Not to be churlish, but it was also a candidate who thinks working with the guy who presided over Labour's evaporation in Scotland was a selling point. Anyway, it brings us to the last act of today's episode, which is the welcome return of our own awards, the Stoosh of the Week. So here you go, Scottish Conservative Recruitment Chiefs. Stoosh of the Week. And with that, it's time to head off. 
thanks to Rachel Amory, guest Wendy Chamberlain, Adele Merson, producer Marvin McIntyre, and of course to you for listening. We'll be back next week with more. But until then, and even after then, pick up or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed. The Stushi is the politics podcast from DC Thompson, designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, Westminster and our communities so that you can be better briefed. Don't miss an episode by following The Stushi today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you know folks like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune in or follow Stushi Scott on Twitter and Facebook. And stay even more up to date on local and Scottish news by subscribing to The Courier or Press and Journal, where you can get one month of unlimited access for just £1. Check the episode notes for details and terms.